And we're back. Welcome back to another Practice Makes Perfect podcast. It's your favorite Fortnite commentator here, Monster D Face, bringing you guys another episode. This week, we are covering all things, not only in the title, but much more as we do week to week, covering just in general esports and hot topics around the gaming communities. Before we jump into the deeper things, we want to thank you, of course, for tuning in with us, checking in with us, vibing with these episodes, downloading, and of course, sharing on all social platforms. We appreciate you guys. It would not be possible, of course, without that community. So, Let's go ahead and jump into things, man. We got the uh, the returning. I feel like, you know, we had to take a couple weeks off. We were doing more of the regular Fortnite podcast. My schedule, John's schedule wasn't quite lining up, but this week we put it on the calendar. We moved some things around. We're recording on a Friday, nice and early, baby. We got John Rush. What's up, brother? Yo, yo. Yeah, I mean, Prax doing big things. We're all doing big things. We'll talk about it at the end of the program, a little dream hack. BTS here, how the Prax boys really do it here. Maybe some tea on your favorite pro player. Just kidding. We don't we don't vent like that. But yeah, we we we've been busy, but we've been thinking about y'all and we appreciate you guys. We're glad to be back. Certainly a backlog of topics. It's been busy in the esports reporting world. And so lots to talk about though. Yeah, one hundred percent. And the word BTS behind the scenes. That's yeah. right. If you want to know a little behind the scenes, I'll give you the business perspective introspective what went down how we were approached maybe and then kind of walk you guys through that conversation should be really fun to just listen to what went through sealing that deal it was, it was a big one for us definitely one of the bigger that we've uh, executed on in the 2023 so happy to be able to celebrate that it's very rare that we get to actually celebrate some of the stuff we work on and talking about celebrations connor was very much a part of that conversation and celebration front man for practice server what's up connor hey what's up everyone yeah been a minute since we did this but we're back in action, baby. Been busy lately with DreamHack and a bunch of other events we've been doing, so it's fun to get back here on the pod and kick it with the boys. Connor's an interesting one because I swear he just ducks episodes and he only shows up when he really, really wants to. So we're lucky, guys. We got Connor this week filling with us right here. And just to kind of hit a little recap, Connor, what have you been up to? It's just been a little minute. Let's just get some casual talk on the on the timeline. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was full focusing on DreamHack that we just had about a week ago or week two ago. Whenever you're listening, DreamHack happened in San Diego. It was awesome. We were a part of it. Super thankful to DreamHack for it. It was sick. Working on some other stuff. Gaming, of course, you know, Rust life. John knows it. Is Rust open right now as we're recording? It may be while we're AFKing. It might be happening while we're recording, but we're here doing the podcast still. Just making sure. Making sure hey, he's Rust, done Rust players, yeah, they sleep. You've seen this, Javier, right? You've seen Rust videos on YouTube. They sleep with exterior speakers on at night so they can hear footsteps or boom I do that. they get raided. See? No, that, that's actually See? insane. That's actually insane. That's hilarious. Yeah, but I don't keep the game open. I stay in a Discord call, and if we start getting raided, my friend join and start screaming, so I wake up. It's happened a couple times already, so... Amazing, you know. amazing. The hardcore life of a Rust player. We need a 24-7 live stream channel dedicated to Connor's sleep schedule around <laughs> his Rust weekends. Only on the weekends, though. Thursday to Sundays, live. <laughs> all, that, all that good stuff. Uh, John, what have you been up to, man? Obviously, we've been talking shop, just kind of working on some things, looking to the been. future. But besides that, what's going on in the world of John Rush? Yeah, man. Yeah, we talked about it. The program launched a YouTube channel finally. It took me years of counseling and to get over my imposter syndrome to, yeah. to just do it. And I feel like I found a topic. Honestly, this, this podcast being a huge inspiration, my YouTube channel is kind of like, I just take one topic that we might discuss on a podcast like this and just try to like inform people and make them think and bring people together through conversation in less than 10 minutes. That's, that's normally my goal. Been doing that. Yeah. Two kids here in Charlotte, but I put it on the practice. The practice Twitter put out something about like, Hey, you know, 
best place to work with da da da. And I'm like, I put there on the replies. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm working on like multiple events with, with, with what we're, we're building here. So excited about it. We have some cool things in the works if they all come together, which I, I believe it's, they will. I find it, find it really cool that when the esports community starts buzzing and, and people start asking like, hey, we need some support for something. Where do we go? Like how many people that we've worked with are willing to just step up, put their socials, put their their vouch on the line for us? Like that's that's very special, man. There's a lot of people that just don't publicly support other entities let alone full organizations the way they support us it is very very cool very humbling and we see it happen and it continues to happen so yeah man big shout out to you guys like i said even Fortnite community and then the podcast community y'all that support along with us like publicly coming out tweeting at us messaging us, like that stuff is really dope man it's we love to see it we love to see it and, and other people love to see it too so sharing that kind of content is super awesome but let's go ahead and jump into things talking about like streamers and and content creators sharing their perspectives this is a perfect segue to talk about train wrecks train wrecks is a big time creator we've covered so many times on this chain and not not so much on the fortnite podcast he doesn't really do stuff in the fortnite spot space but since we've launched the practice makes perfect podcast he's like one of the one of the headliners we're constantly talking about because yes. he puts himself in a line of fire and he is unapologetic in doing so when it comes down to expressing his opinion. This time, I like his opinion where he's going with this. He's not necessarily the focus of the drama, but he opens up a major conversation that I don't think anyone was willing to maybe open, right? He's the guy that will open the can of worms and, and check out what's going on inside of it. And for that, we get to talk about this hyper-realism video game content footage that was dropped online. And not only that, it was so good, so realistic looking, in fact, that users in the comment sections thought that it was real police body cam footage. And the developer had to go out of their way to go ahead and basically prove to the others and convince them that this is just a video game. Sorry, it looks so real. Connor, let's start with you. What just real quick, like high level, do video games that look hyper realistic have or belong in the space of gaming? Or, you know, is there a line in video gaming is what I'm trying to say. Is there a line in video games? I don't think there is. Games have since games have been out, everyone has been trying to make them look more and more realistic. And we're finally getting to that point where technology is improving and advancing to where we have games like we saw in the clip where I was also one of the people like, wait, what am I? Is this, this looks so real. This is this is crazy. So I'm sitting there watching and I'm like, oh, my goodness, how far have games come? I think there is a place for every type of game. So you have your cartoony arcade games. You have your mildly realistic games and you have ultra realistic games like this i think they all have a place in the space of gaming john i'm dropping a clip here on twitter in case you haven't seen it just so you could get you only dude you only need five to ten seconds of that opening clip for you to just understand how seriously real this game looks has this fisheye vision there's like so much going on that makes it look exactly like what you think it is a body cam footage video game what what's your take are video games getting too realistic? Do they belong in this kind of hyper-realism genre and, and the, the quick TLDR? Are video games too realistic? Is there such thing as too realistic video games? Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll link that for you guys to watch. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. Even, even where the creator of this had to post behind-the-scenes footage to show people that it was uh, not like a actual body cam footage. Like That's how real it was. It's so real people were saying it's fake. <laughs> 
Like that's how real it is. Like, and so, um, you know, I was actually, I've actually been asked this question a lot, uh, working with teenagers, working with young people. You know, one of the things that we help people do is, is get esports going in high schools and middle schools and people are, you know, is that bad? So I've, I've actually read several in-depth studies and there have been many, many in-depth studies done on the effects of violent video games. So this is from molecularpsychiatry.com. It's a long, this is a long article. We can even link to it if you guys would be interested in it. But this is the summary, okay? So they had different people go through, they had them doing Sims, they had them doing uh, Call of Duty, and they had them doing GTA. GTA was the game that they were really paying attention to. And this is the summary. Taken together, the findings of the present study show that an extensive game intervention over the course of two months did not reveal any specific changes in aggression, empathy, interpersonal competencies, impulsivity-related constructs, depress depressivity, which I didn't know that was a word, anxiety, or executive control functions. Neither in comparison to an active control group that played a non-violent video game compared to one that played a video violent game. And it goes on. All that to say, though, that's been video games up until this point. We stand by that. However, there is something in me that goes, the more like real life these things look, there might be some additional effects um, that, that we haven't seen so far. So what I'm guess what I'm saying is up until this point, nothing shows that video games have actually caused people to be more violent. But the clips and the, the things that we're seeing, that might change the game. But your opinion is the question. Is there a line in hyper-realistic video games? Is, can that line be crossed? Are we getting close enough to cross that line right now? Like, it's wild that we're literally in a... In a Technolo technological moment in our era that everything's pivoting from AI, hyper-realism, visuals now. Like, this is, we are literally, we're crossing a line here. If there was ever a line to cross, we're almost right here at that moment where things are going to be able to start speaking back to you that sound like people. Clearly, visually, there's ways to replicate things that look very realistic. Can it get too far? I mean... I guess, yeah. I think for me, this is, and again, maybe I'm just a video game apologist. To me, I go, of all the scary things coming out about tech, this ain't even top two. You know, I'm like, okay. we should be way more worried about AI than like our kids are going to grow up in a world where they might think that they're dumb because of how smart AI is. That, that they're going to think the robot lady in the corner is a smarter person than them. And what that could do to just human creativity and flourishing is a lot more dangerous to me than like, but I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to say, bro. I feel like I want to I yeah. want to share with you just a little insight. There's so many ways we could take this conversation, but that to me, that's very interesting. I, did, I never thought about that perspective, like that version of that perspective where kids might feel inferior to the technology they're inter interacting with. But this is how crazy technology is. My little sister had to translate her Spanish essay yesterday. And instead of typing it out the way we, I think, all would normally kind of function through that process, she's like, no, let me just use your phone. I'll just take a picture. And then image, like, on the app, Apple's device will literally translate it for me and write it for me. And I was like, what? I was like, that's not even close to you studying the material. At least if you're typing it yourself into translate, you're reinforcing your own, you know, cognitive material here. And... I was just tripping at the whole idea. And I told her, no, you're going to type this. I don't care how much time you save yeah. because you can translate it at a press of a button. So anyways, you're totally right. 
the next generation wild i saw this moment happen in front of me yesterday and i basically combated it maybe i suck i'm a boomer and i'm stuck <laughs> in past times it's crazy the uh well, the internet's scary connor i don't know how like i don't know how you i'm like okay the moment that if games like this we see a, a rise in shootings and there's direct correlation take it down okay wait Okay, before we even get there, this game, although the developer is developing something that is a video game, of course, that kind of reenacts this body cam footage of you entering into buildings, and you're basically the, the law enforcement in this perspective taking down the villains as you enter into different locations. He went as far as blurring the faces of the characters involved. That's smart. He had to add subtitles and add like little text that show, yeah, this is a weapon and we're reloading it, right? Like those numbers and text on screen, I think he realized he is literally touching fire right now, right? Like he's like, oh, this is hot. I got it. Although I'm aiming for real, I can't make it that real. Like, let me go ahead and censor this a little bit. So I found that to be super revealing and telling that even that the dev recognized how real his game was that he had to put in almost forcibly put in elements that show that okay this is not necessarily real and i say that because games like tarkov have proven that you don't need a hud or really anything to like yeah make the game work like when you go inspect the magazine or how much is you know how many bullets you have like dude the, the guy just visually looks into the weapon and you have to like basically count right like it, it, there are other real games but not even close to the graphical version of this game and this game's called unrecorded actually i think it's worth uh worth mentioning that there let me just go ahead and double check yeah unrecord is the video game you guys can wish list it on steam if you are loving the topic and want to check it out hey, if it goes vr that's different if it's vr fully <laughs> immersive because i've heard of people this this guy was talking on his podcast he's been studying vr and they're like hey what do your kids think about it and he goes i haven't let my kids use vr and they're like well you're one of the biggest proponents he's like there's no data available on how VR affects developing minds. So until there is, I'm not ready to risk my child's brains. And he said, like, one of the things about VR that blows I my guess, mind. I guess I suck. Well, <laughs> well maybe not, though. But, maybe, but, but here's my thing is, what if your kids become more creative, not less? But one thing he said about VR is that when he's on a video call in VR and he's fully immersed, he starts to refer subconsciously to himself as back there. So like, there's this mental thing that happens where he physically starts to disassociate like his body with where his mind is at. And so I'm like, oh, if, man, at that point, with all that realistic stuff, that could be where I go. Yo, that someone might actually get trapped in the game if it's that. No, that's intense. I mean, I just talking about like what I've allowed my little ones to do and not do. I've allowed them to play VR, Among Us VR, hilarious. <laughs> More so, I think selfishly speaking, I was getting a kick out of the laughs because there's all types of funny just individuals on there and kids like there's literally kids playing among us vr right now as we speak probably for some reason not in school but it's funny i've seen it and i've also seen her basically take form of a gorilla and run into almost my desk so kids yeah they i don't think they they get easily immersed in there and they forget where they're at Probably a lot faster than adults do. So there, there's something there for sure. I think there's some science and some studies that have to go down undoubtedly. Uh, but yeah, man, so this opens up a whole conversation and train wrecks is one of the first ones to jump out. So just to wrap this back up and get back on, on the, get the train on the tracks here. Trainwreck of all people was one of the first to actually open up the can of worms and jump into the debate here and put his perspective out there. And I think he realized he might've been at the, um, on, on the backside of the foot here, going against the current, if you will. I'm going to go to Rhea's tweet, word for word here, starting with this. 
I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but this level of realism in video games should be heavily moderated in, air quotes, shooters. For anyone under a certain age, I hope parents do their job. This level of realism for shooting and killing makes me uncomfortable, as if I'm watching a real leak from a military or police operation. The clear distinction between real and fake is necessary. This level of realism, in my opinion, gives real credibility to the nonsense politicians have been spewing for years about video games conditioning young people to lose a sense of empathy toward violent tendencies or situations. So he's tying this into the bigger picture. He's saying, hey, before GTA, all that conversation studies, man, they didn't they didn't have a case on us. This right here, this could give them a case on video games. Video yeah, yeah, games yeah. might be a little too far. I think to circle back a bit to what John said and tie it into this, I think if this goes VR, then it could be a slight issue because you're fully immersing yourself into the game. So I think mouse and keyboard or controller or whatever, in my head, that doesn't make it make sense. Like, like you're actually playing it like IRL. But as soon as you get in VR and you can do whatever you want with your hands, move around, I think that's when this could be an issue. I agree. I also think it's interesting. One of the things worth reporting on this is just like how the internet likes to categorize people between good and good or bad and of course people's actions are but like even like think about this like train is is accused of a lot being on the wrong side of a lot of issues but here he is being a voice to advocate for something that you know potentially could be a really he healthy conversation you know so i just thought it was interesting to be like and i'm even hard on train you know i've said a lot of like i've, I've said a lot of critical things about some of his actions it's always good to remember that you can't summarize you cannot summarize a whole person by just one part of them or one aspect of their life well, let's not forget other games that have done their fair share of harm or open up very interesting conversation around explicit gameplay material. GTA aside, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 had a very gory uh, air, airport scene where you storm into oh. the airport and literally... No Russian. No Russian. And yeah, you're blasting civilians and, and just all types of stuff. It's gory. It's in an airport. It was like, whoa, not, not sure what to take from this. This is kind of too crazy. So there are some things that are extreme situations that we've seen in video games, and they've never been received very well. Uh, so I found it interesting that Trainwreck thought for, for whatever moment in that point in time when he tweeted like, hey, this might be a hot take and people may not agree with me, but looking at the comment sections, I think people find this to be an extremely valid take. A lot of folks are siding with them, at least those that are willing to speak up. There's probably not as many willing to speak up against Papa Train right now because he holds the, the keys to the bank of stake and kick.com right so you want to stay on his good side and obviously we're talking about gaming creators here so who knows there could be some people holding back and holding their tongue because because it is train wreck now he is a uh, continued to mass power in this space so i think the body cam perspective is was also is also a a it plays into it yeah yeah because there's very unfortunately we live in a world where far too often we're watching we're watching actual body cam footage and, and somebody um, many times being wrongfully hurt or killed and so i think that right. was also the angle of of the realism you know like i've seen lots of unreal 5 that basically looks real remember like we, we talked about it a, a few months ago like the train station remember like the koreans mm, yes and, and we we were like yo is this real none of us were like is this too real because the imagery didn't elicit any negative emotion so i also think that that the body cam imagery is is, is kind of a lot look at that new step in a different direction all of a sudden very different conversations are being opened and and to your point yes we did literally talk about that train wreck that train station footage it was dark with the flashlight it looks super cool super eerie yeah but nothing there was extreme enough to open up a big conversation where folks were concerned about what would happen 
when this type of technology was available to others but anyway to so kind of talk about the, the gameplay footage if you didn't go check it out yourself it's completely fake if you look at the footage you can see that very very clearly the assets are pretty much copy and pasted the barrels in the scene and certain other just assets in the world show us that again this is this is a video game it's it's not real and once again that's not to say the dev can't go ahead and make more custom assets and continue to separate this video game from realism perspective that they have going on so there is a lot happening there this is a huge topic we're going to continue to talk about this i'm sure there are going to be others that chime in probably throughout the weeks and now it could influence spin-offs of this type of genre and again yeah. This dev put in their their own barriers, in my opinion. So, you know, who's to say the next dev is not going to blur faces and things like that? Let's just go ahead and power through some of the other stuff, though. We have, uh, of course, big brand developments here. TSM, CLG, Astro, the reduction, the, the continue to downsize we're seeing in esports here. John, what's happening? Yeah, I just think it's just, it's just always interesting whenever you see brands that you would consider unshakable having to make cutbacks. Certainly TSM being affected by everything that happened a while ago with FTX, you know, we're raising a lot of interesting subjects. What's the effect of AI, virtual reality, you know, good graphics, cryptocurrency, you know, and, and certainly TSM has had, and we've covered it on the program, a few more leadership issues that have been put into question, but there's been, there's been reporting that they might even be putting pause to their, their famous League of Legends title, et cetera. CLG and Energy have had a whole deal go down. And then Astros, which is like, I literally have, my Astro tags that I that I competed in and and OG Halo Halo Three in and and there's reports coming out of that company that this that it's that's crumbling. All these staples of esports seem to be crumbling. Is it all good news, bad news? I don't know. This is terrible, and I'm so confused how you let a like leader of this space, a true leader, an Astro fall to the wayside. Where did it go wrong? I almost feel like Astro's problem possibly complacency they were literally like kings of the jungle you know what i'm saying like everyone had a pair of astros and then they stopped releasing and innovating on the headsets like after the a50s dude do what everyone else up drop a60s drop a7s who cares right put a little facelift on it give it a color touch it's really all you have to do if and then people will buy the hype and astros had a great quality brand i moved away from astros because they stopped developing the same product I'm on DT 990s. I love them, right? They're nothing, nothing was really being developed from Astro's side. And they lost me as a consumer, which is crazy because to lose or, or have consumer, someone who's buying your products move away, like brand loyalty is everything. And Astro had the scene on lock and they were a big part of esports. So at what point did that all change? I just think complacency happened. I think my take on this is, when I thought of Astros back when I played on console, those were, if you were the try-hard gamer, you bought Astros. Those were the headsets to buy. And I think the change in that is a lot of those hardcore gamers, they all moved to PC. So they all switched to just studio headphones. And Astros was always as a gaming headset. It wasn't like a studio headphone like everyone is buying nowadays. So I think that's where that switch happened because more people are going to PC gaming and just playing Call of Duty on PC or whatever they're playing now. I think that's a going great, back to console. When I upgraded from my $35 Turtle Beaches to the Astros, it was a huge investment, but I felt, I felt sweatier just doing it. You know, something that when you said, when did that start? For me, I moved off of them when about, I think they've updated this since, but the damage might've been done. For a long time, they were using proprietary hardware, meaning cords and adapters that, that were not readily available. And so when, you, when something broke or it ran out, 
you you had to go only through their website and their distribution instead of being able to go to Best Buy or go on Amazon. And I remember there was one time where the model I had, they were like, yeah, we might be able to get it. I remember going back and forth with Astro Customer Service. They're like, yeah, we might be able to get that to you. It's just going to be a few weeks. I'm like, a few weeks? I can't, I need to game. And I just remember, go, so I think that's something that you've seen Apple actually do. Apple is always trying to use, either use or create universal hardware. And so I think Astro maybe just got too lost in the sauce and just didn't think about the cu customer enough. Yeah, something something went bad there, clearly, because now we're, we're again, these are just rumblings of massive layoffs and, and the company struggling right now, which is crazy. It's, it's a product-based company. All you have to do, like I said before, is continue to keep that brand loyal to innovate on the product and then get it, get it to distribution. The gaming space is so, so like familiar with the Astro brand. I don't think it'd be hard for them to get back into that number one type position or spot in fact i'd be more surprised to see if they get acquired by like a logitech or an elgato which is yeah. you know owned by logitech but whatever of those subsidiaries or a mainstream companies that want to purchase them because they have something very cool they have a brand loyalty they i think without a doubt in with the right social direction and maybe execution they, they shouldn't be able to bounce back of all the things i've seen in this space you know organizations i think can struggle and revitalizing org might be way harder because there's different kind of economics at play. But like when you have a product, like a real tangible service-based product like that with the brand loyalty behind it, and they haven't done anything malicious to ruin their reputation, to my knowledge, that I've seen, like this is very much a brand that can get saved and hopefully it does get saved. It's, it's a cool brand. I mean, sell it to me for cheap and then I'll, I'll take over Prac Astros YOLO. And, Yay. You know, <laughs> Well, it would actually work out great with our model. One of the things that they used to do in tournaments, which is so cool, is they used to, Astro staff would be on standby to fix, tweak your headsets, to rent out headsets for you, like to really be there. It was really cool. It was like, it was like you, like where I bought my Astros was at an MLG event because I always knew that so that's cool. where they would be. And like, I remember they would help me tune it even. And like, like it was, it was really cool. The service they used to provide. Let me ask you just a quick question. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it just got me thinking like, what causes a brand to fall off? Like what happens? Because I kind of feel like we're watching this happen with even another kind of like staple brand, G Fuel, where it's like mm. G Fuel, man, even two years ago, you're like, bro, G Fuel is the freaking coolest brand, the coolest thing. How does this happen? What happens if something starts to slide out of relevancy? I think it's just trends and culture. Uh, I mean, it's about adaption and innovation. And like we talked about with Astro, they didn't adapt or innovate. And I think for G Fuel, you saw, I remember seeing all over my time all the time, hey, use my code for this, use my code for that. I wonder if they, I feel like I've been seeing on Twitter, people have been leaving G Fuel as their main sponsor. So maybe they're not dishing out money to sponsorship, to, to creators anymore to sponsor? Yeah, the, one of the big ones was them lowering their advertising spend when they gave up, pretty much gave up FaZe Clan. That was the beginning mm -hmm. of them not being like the number one billboard, right? Like advertised fuel option. Things changed really quickly from that moment onwards, but let's not forget, they did have a little controversy around them. I think part of it had to do with the layoffs and then something else, I forgot exactly what happened, but it was serious enough that creators were literally leaving the brand. Uh, creators were dropping G Fuel. They were not happy with the direction. There's some kind of political spin there. We covered it, I'm fairly, fairly sure, but I didn't, I didn't get too deep into it uh, as, I, as I don't remember it right now, but something for sure happened. People started walking away from the brand. And like you said, they stopped, literally just stopped advertising. They stopped putting money up. Yo, I know for me, my wife said I can't drink it because it's got, it's got stuff that messes with my sperm <laughs> count, bro. 
My yes. wife said, if you're trying to have more kids, you can't be on that. So that's, I got blocked off of the G Fuel, bro. Yeah, if you remember the G Fuel controversy, it was, they had like a higher up HR meeting and then an executive in that meeting said like a racial slur or something along those lines. Wow. And then they instantly fired like 10 employees for people trying to like expose or something like that. So there it was, there it was. So because of the internal strife and the abuse of power, from high high sitting folks over at G Fuel, that is what caused the domino effect of people to yeah. walk brand. And then it was opportune timing, like like we saw Phase signed with mm -hmm. Ghost Energy. Yep. And then you have like I don't know, there's there's a few of them out there. You have like Sneak Energy continuing to just you know chip away at the iceberg for their stuff. So, I mean, you guys know I'm a huge advocate for coffee, not sugary drinks. I don't know. People say there's no sugar here, monster. I don't care. <laughs> uh, they will forever forever look to be sugary drinks or fuels. Stop giving them candy flavors, bro. I don't like I think, that. I think that's what it is. It's just so associated with like sweets and, and bad stuff. I don't care about the reaction and, and all that other things they claim to enhance. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's enough study on these G Fuel chemicals. Dang, they're not innovating, I'm not just, keeping up with the customer. I'm just classic. If I need energy, I just go Red Bull or coffee. That's just, there it is. That's just all I do. Bro, I, I don't go any for the Red game Red and stuff. Red Bull would be at like these lands, bro, and, and they would be just giving out stuff, bro. I realized quick then that when you're competing, you actually don't need energy. Like when you're competing live. There's just, the, yeah, just yeah. when the adrenaline hits and you're on two Red Bulls, my hands were shaking so bad. I'm like, I can't hit these shots, man. So definitely need it when I'm gaming at home, but not at a tournament. It's funny you say that because like some see that mistake in casting where mm. I'm like, yo, I'm about to go up and cast. Like, let me, I'm going to drink a Red Bull or I'm going to have a cup of coffee and then I'm just waiting idly and I'm going to have another cup of coffee, like whatever. Right. And then all of a sudden, like you also hit adrenaline peak when you're shout casting. Yeah. So you're on. Caffeine and shout. I've thrown my voice because I was literally too hyped up. <laughs> Terrible stuff. Nowadays, I'll drink half a cup, you know, just a little something, something. So I get that. I think that mental spike to happen a little yep. early, get that awareness going. But dude, yeah, adrenaline is real and it can totally, totally affect you. So just, to, just to veer off real quick, I had a question for you both because I know what happens to me. Whenever you're doing your profession, casting or whatever you're doing, do you also get nervous right before you start? And then as soon as you start, you're good? Because that happens to me for literally everything. Like when I go to produce a show, as soon as that countdown starts at zero, nervous. But as soon as I click the transition button, I'm good. I'm in the zone. I just get like the nerves before it. It even happened when I was competing until I started playing and focused up. I mean, I think nerves are your best friend. So yes, I do. Because I think, and I had this mentality shifted just recently in my life where I used to, man, I can't wait till I'm good enough where I don't get nervous. And I realized, I think the day I don't get nervous is the day I stop performing and practicing and preparing. And I'm like, there's something about my nerves that help me get ready for it. Now, too much nerves is probably a bad thing. I need to figure that out. But I'm like, there's a, I always do get a little bit nervous, but then yeah, when it's time, the adrenaline locks in, flight or fight, baby, we fighting. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going I'm to suck. I've literally lost my nerves. Well, or you're better. Truly, no, 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 no. Seriously, though, the last time I was truly nervous, Pac South, it was the first time I was asked to walk out and host, like, do the opening lines, and I had to walk this catwalk sort of right to the stage, and there was just a lot of pressure on that moment, and they, they gave me all these lines, and they needed it exactly the way they wanted it to be said, and it, there was a charitable component and, and sponsor behind it, the Red Cross. There was just so much going on, and I'm like, oh, crap, I got to hit this Red Cross line. I got to make sure I say this, the, the full entity name like this and talk about these sponsors. So there was so much that I had to memorize. My knee was like working dude like open the shiver the, the one little buckly knee before i'm walking i'm like dude that's the adrenaline that's the nerves going crazy and i have to walk 
luckily for me, I was able to walk out and then stand like stiff as a board as I had to at the moment, just to like really breathe and say what I had to say. And then, yes. and then it kind of eased up and I was able to do that. That was the last time I was super nervous Pack South. Um, since then, the only other public like onstage walker speaking moment was actually with you, John Rush, when oh, we, right. when we went on travel, yeah. called me up. But at that point, I've done so many stages. I've cast in front of 10,000 people in like arenas, right? And like, I've done all these other levels that, I get more happy and excited and I feel much more like I'm in an element, I'm in a zone, like, oh, this is about to be a good time. My perspective is so different because I realize now I can't really mess it up. I'm just me, right? Yeah, and we're yeah, not yeah. perfect. So, healthy. so I, I got like this. I just think my, my mind where, dude, have some swag, have some fun with it. Yeah, You're, You might trip over here or there, but we'll be all right. Just, just talk through it and get your points out. That's so good. A different perspective totally changed me, but... There was there was totally a time where dude I had the buckling knees, bro. Like, oh my gosh. So yeah, yeah to answer your question, Connor, I don't get as nervous. Different ways. It's more excitement. I feel excitement now. That's good. Well, maybe it's not nerves. Maybe it's more a little bit of excitement. I don't know. I just get jit like not jittery. Like I I don't know how to explain it. I get a feeling before events. I don't know. Totally nerves for you. Like you are just this is your first like big year concluding right basically concluding your first full year producing it could be totally nerves it wasn't until a few years it took me a few years and like like truly major arenas like crowd screaming arenas <laughs> then i was able to kind of perform at those levels where i'm just like all right i got this once you've survived it you no longer fear dying from it heck yeah well speaking of brands slipping and, and drama and everything we we kind of put this towards the bottom just because the ongoing going saga phase banks is a noted founder of FaZe Clan, who is also like on, I bet you right now, if we looked up the publicly traded stock options of FaZe, it's, it's probably very low. So there's a lot of, lot of controversy there. People are saying the brand is, is slipping. He made 54 this cents. <laughs> 54 cents. It's he up, it's up. He made, there you go. <laughs> I think it was 51 last time I saw. Uh, he made this statement on, on, on Twitter on April 15th. He says, I don't know what all these corporate uh, guys are doing. <laughs> yeah. These corporate, Think they're doing weighing options <laughs> plotting doing whatever the is they've been doing but the answer is very simple give us our brand back you stole it in the first place it goes to zero otherwise you have no idea what phase is and so this is very interesting like he's basically saying give it back to the people give it back to the creators and and the corporate suits so to speak are ruining it what do you guys think uh, to, to kick this one off like i said we we talked about this on on the other podcast, I am also interested to see your perspective now or hear your perspectives. What I said on just a previous recording was, dude, I think they don't have a space or a right to say that the, they need to hand the, the brand back to them. I, ju I just don't think so. They sold this brand, regardless of whether or not they were taken advantage of at some point or another, they still undoubtedly made millions and continue to make a lot of money on the brand. Yes, so what, you look at the, the paperwork of FaZe Clan and they're moving and operating in the negative, but that does not mean they're not writing and cashing out checks to their people. Clearly they are. That's why they're in the negative as opposed to keeping the, the profits of the brand. I think old me would have been on the side of the FaZe boys and been like, man, screw these guys, blah, blah, blah. But as I've gotten more involved in business and doing this, I think this is just a simple get a lawyer, get something. Cause I feel like something along the way, they just trusted the wrong guy and just signed or something like that. Like 
they gave too much power to someone when it could have easily been stopped if you maybe read more in between the lines or something along the, that space. I think they continued to sell shares throughout the years as they grew, as investment came in, and they were cashing and cashing. And they didn't realize every time they accepted that big check and they wrote off another little percentage, they were slowly and surely opening up the space for them to have less of a voice, and it's become more of a democracy. And right now, they are clearly on the losing side as far as their voting power goes. Well, and the problem is, too, is like we've also seen many like founding members or like big members of phase say that the problem they had was not with the corporate side. It was with the community side. It felt like a click. It felt like there were people, people were being taken advantage of that. There was like a popular club and that like, you know, certain people, certain people were taken care of, but not these other people over here. And so I honestly don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan when people defer responsibility to something else. I really, it really fires me up when people take ownership. Even if phase banks would have said, Hey guys, this is my L and I'm going to be looking for ways Thank to you. take responsibility bringing it back around. I remember what phase once was, and I have vision that it can be that again. Will you guys join me? You know, like something like that, like taking the L, taking responsibility. I, I'm drawn to that. But pointing the fingers at the thing that you, the deal you signed, like you said, Monster, that's a big no for me. It's, it's just the way they go about it, the way it's been handled online. There is no accountability. There really never has been amongst all the scandal, all the, you know, different controversies. There's so many different, like, there are articles upon articles of the crazy things FaZe Clan has been accused of and been a part of, and they're a great partner to us. We've made a lot of money with FaZe, so it's really nothing like, as far as business legitimacy goes, they've always written the checks, they've always done their part. But, like, you can't then, again, forward-facing, act like you guys are playing victim when there is advertising dollars being spent and thrown around like crazy, and they have control of this thing. And like you said, there is no ownership. There very, very rarely has been a moment where banks have straight up been like, yep, dude, we messed up. Yo, the brand's not where it needs to be. Or like, we're not happy with that. Let's do better, right? Like, I don't know. It just, they've lost that a long time ago. Maybe they stopped caring and they just thought, hey, we turn a blind eye. It'll be okay forever until, and, and why not? Why didn't this happen sooner the first time Phase Rain spoke up and, and came out? It took Tico, someone who's, way more probably loved and and they he knew for a fact oh yeah man we've been taking advantage of that guy for years yeah, right yeah, yeah. yeah i could have been cut him a check and he i think he felt guilty and now they're trying to he's trying to join that side because he realized the momentum is changing the tide is swinging yeah so to me he's just trying to play the right side of the narrative and i'm personally looking straight through i don't see i don't know let's let's get it out of I'm here not, i'm not empathetic let's get, sympathetic to let's him. get it right well hey let's end the program talking about an esports brand that is on the up and up practice server gatekeepers i would love to hear from you guys Ew. we just came off a huge activation and there's more to come uh dream hack fortnite tournament lots of people lots of things happening online things happening in person what was just give us an in, inside look behind the scenes how did we get here what was it like let's start with what what we actually did there and then maybe we can back up and go how did we get that deal everything like that what was the scope of the tournament what was the scope of our role tell us all the juicy details all right, so let's break it down here. We had three-day event with a three-day broadcast. We had ad. We had four of our best admins from Practice Server on site in San Diego, coordinating with our production team online from a remote broadcast standpoint. So we had the we had four people on site. They were incredible. We got so many messages from players and staff about yo you guys killed it you guys were so good so responsive you get amazing at san diego 
they were on site communicating with us. If anyone had an issue or an error, they, they messaged us. We gave them a code. They typed the code in to queue into a lobby. It was it was a a tough system in wording, but we made it work so smooth. And it's just amazing when a plan that you create executes. That's right. A lot of it did come down to preparation. And just to, I promise you guys a little bit of insight of how we arrived at this moment. And I think, I think there's a really fun story here. It may be a lesson to be taken away. Whole reason this is even possible. And John, I don't think you heard about this. So this would be a first for you. About two years ago, came across this guy called Chris. He kind of runs this collegiate operation. He, he plays a part in his own league and operation. To make a long story short, shout out to them. He came to me with this idea to market his tournament, right? And when he proposed this budget, I'm like, dude, $400 or $500, whatever, whatever number it is to me, that's not even enough for me to open my eyes and get out of bed for, right? As crazy as that may sound, guys, my day rates and, and the way... I value myself. It's just so different where I am today, right? In order for me to, if you want to pay for my service, you're going to pay for my services, right? That's just how it works. But being the person that I am, and John, you've heard, you've listened to some of my crazy, like full circle stories. This is really one of them. He, he told me what his mission was and what he was trying to accomplish. And at that moment, I didn't care how much money he had. It was about the goal. You want to support students? I love that. You want to do this for your program and they're not giving you access and the funds and the support you need. I got your back. I'm going to help you make this a success. And what I did for him was I said, hey, keep your money. You clearly need it much more than I do right now. Use that. Support your program in a different way. Tell me everything you need me to do. Where do you want this promoted? What's your goal? What's your metric? What, what conversions are you looking for? I'll help you get some players. And what I did was I just decided, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out. And I went ahead and we promoted his tournament and we helped fill his lobbies for his, his Fortnite, basically his Fortnite tournament. Kind of how I did for you, John. It's funny. Back when we first met, I was like, oh, dude, these guys are doing something awesome. Let me go in and support. I did that for him. Turns out a year later, a year or so more later, his wife is the lead partnership global director, whatever, of DreamHack for NA Activations. And that conversation, that little bit of help, me genuinely giving him support, came back to support us and, and give us an opportunity in a way that I never, ever, ever expected, right? And that's how we got the conversation open with, with DreamHack. Right then and there, I got a random DM like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but Here's my partner. This is what she does. I think there's something here for you. Let me go ahead and put you guys in a conversation. And, uh, you know, the rest is up to you. You shoot your shot. You do what you got to do. And that's how we got to even entertaining the idea of, hey, how can we work with you? And that door was open for us. That's so cool. So how, how many players? How much uh, prize money? Upwards of 300 players, a 250,000 qualifier, in-person qualifier, clearly. And as far as staffing goes, we provided something around 12 to 14 remote crew. And again, four on site alongside the DreamHack staff, which they had about four with a couple higher ups viewing over. So we had anywhere from about 10 bodies at the venue and then a full full uh, staffing crew for the, for the remote side to execute the game plan. Like Connor said, dude, it, it was all about preparation. We had this idea on, in theory, if everything went the way it should, this should work. And we did manage to cover the bases. That's so cool. Well, you, you guys should definitely follow. Connor always is putting out behind the scenes. Like, if you ever want to know what the guts of it looks like, I mean, really, all of our crew are posting cool behind the scenes and just giving insight into um, 
on one hand, how doable it is, because we obviously are executing this and we can do this at a high level, but then you'll also get an appreciation for, for how much skill it does still take though. Even though it's doable, you, finesse. you gotta, you gotta <laughs> hit the shots. That's really, that's so cool. I remember when we were at the, uh, yeah, the first FNCS in-person event, man. And I got, I was there as a spectator, but just being there, getting to see my friends, my teammates, monster on the casting booth, the boys on stage. It just, that was crazy. it, it was so yeah. much fun just having that little extra bit of insight into what was, was going on and uh, man, crack boys, no one does it. No one does it like us. Yeah, man. And, and again, it's just, you know, be a stand up person is what I'm trying to say. If you're there to do good work, if you have a mission or goal, just stick to it, man. I think that'll, that'll be your North star. You follow that and, and good things will come. And like I said, my, one of my biggest goals have always just been, I want to support the amateur to pro market. I want to support professional players to make sure they, they can do this you know, full time. I want to support my team. Most importantly, at the highest, highest level, my, my core crew, that that's, that's, those are my priorities. Right. And then of course, alongside of that, dude, the youth, the children, the next generation, that's why we even do the podcast. We don't get paid to do this. We show up, we share insight, we talk cool stuff. And, and it's just all about continuing to make an impact. And that, that's what we were able to do. So DreamHack was, was dope. We, we killed San Diego. We have an opportunity now to pitch our way into Dallas. Clearly we have like a mega leg up, right? Got an actual quote due today. I'm trying to wait for some other elements to come through so we could send that email. But you know, we're we're constantly trying to work towards these things. And just talking about Leah behind the scenes and giving insight. That's where my LinkedIn. I'm really trying to turn online on LinkedIn. I dropped a couple of videos on there, just really talking about it. And I'm going to continue to do so for our other activations. Really giving some of that insight. Whether, like I said, the stories like this, that how dots were connected, or here's a, here's another complicated thing we had to tackle. Here's how we overcame that. Just, just, you know, our trials that we go through. So, you know, all of, sometimes they're really difficult. Sometimes they're simple, but maybe it helps give you perspective on how to execute and launch your own business or, or just get involved in some different ways. Because there's, there's so many lanes you could play in, I think, in the esports space. And a lot of people don't realize you don't have to be a professional player. You could totally have a, another skill set and just apply it here and then be successful. Love it. Yeah, I would say when saying that, some out of some of the best crew that we have are ex gamers that wanted to make the switch and they just have that mindset of how it works, how how broadcast should work and how gaming should be spectated because they're in the space, they understand it. So even if you're not a pro player and you're in the scene, there is so much you can do in an esports broadcast world that start learning, figure it out, mess around with a spectator with a spectator client, mess around with vmix program obs mess around with all of it and see if if it's what you like doing yeah in about an hour i actually have a call with nanolite we're gonna go live on twitch i probably should have promoted this sooner but we're going to do a live coaching vaudeville i'm going to coach him on how to commentate how to cast over fortnite i'm going to review his previous broadcast and some of the stuff he did and i'm gonna help him enhance his skill set as a, as a beginning means to help him onboard his way into esports as a commentator, as a journalist or analyst, whatever he ends up deciding to do with his his skill set. But you know, it's, it's just development like this. It's investing in this up and coming community and scene. And and everyone knows, man, Fortnite needs it in particular. The broadcast itself has had, I feel like, a very stagnant lifespan so far uh, some adjustments are constantly being made but nothing's really hit to the point to where the broadcast has been able to reach that next level i think of viewership and investment from the community it has continued to be pretty fragmented if you will so you know who knows what's going to turn that it could be this new wave of real professional players starting to jump up on the on there and, and give their insight i don't know but i'm a part of building up the scene and building up these these next talent pools so 
super happy and, and I feel good about the space and where it's going and hope to continue to see it do well. Let's go. I'm excited. It's wild to think about what it'll be like when my, my kid who's four will, what the space will be like then and mm. what opportunities will afford herself and, and all that. It's just really exciting to be a part of it. And, you know, one of the cool things y'all will see for those listening, being up close to Prac, like the core team that Monster's talking about, you know, we've talked about this before. You heard Connor's origin story. So many of them are just like our young dudes who just, they just started somewhere. And you're like, how do I start? Start. Like, where do I start? Yeah. Start. You, you just yeah, got you know to get out there. Every person that's ever DM'd me that they want to do something in esports, I've literally given a job to. That's how simple it is. You just reached out to me and I'm like, okay, let me see what we can do. And I, and I give you an opportunity to shoot your shot. I'm like, what can you do well? Oh, you, you'd like to write? Good. I need someone to write me an article. Go turn me around three of them. I'll pay you for them. Let me see what they look like. Can we utilize it? And I'll post them, right? Like, it's as simple as that. Like, people just don't take initiative. And I've gotten on a lot of calls, and I've, and I've given a lot of people chances, man. But, dude, everyone is, is valuable, and you can, you can have value, and you can do what you want to do. You got to go, go get after and find the right people that are willing to give you a chance. I just so happen to be one of them to a lot of people at different times, which is pretty cool. And just speaking of which, we'll probably have some announcements this week on practice server socials. Go follow up on that because we have some new some new signings, man. You know, we're going to be picking up some some folks and we're going to be taking the brand in, in a continue a growing direction as we invest in, like Connor said, professional players that want to get into the backside, get into really developing and building because esports is in its infancy and you don't have to do it with multi-millions of dollars and go broke. Absolutely. Well, this has been fun. <laughs> we promise we should be back sooner this time than, than last month. Um, but if, if, you ever, if you ever miss us, make sure to keep up with other podcasts and projects we got going on. Interact with us on social media. Y'all should tell us what we should be talking about. We always love to see that on Twitter. Hit up Monster, and he'll give you an email at the end for all your complaints, too. Absolutely. You can find us and complain to us at Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're always here. Next week, we'll be talking maybe a little more about X Defined, new game being released. Uh, some creators bragging about their riches and many more things that will develop, I'm sure, from here till then. So continue to follow along to the Practice Makes Perfect podcast, Business Insight, Esports, Gaming Commentary, all that good stuff. We talk everything and uh, we have fun with it. We're very candid over here. Uh, with that, I'm going to let the boys sign off. Connor, let the people at home know where they can find you, man. Hey, you guys can all follow me on Twitter, Connor EO underscore. It's about the only place I post on. So, yeah. John? Yeah, hit up the new project, Project W Key on TikTok and YouTube. I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well, but I'm really passionate about the TikTok and the YouTube, so go over there and say hi. Super sick. And what I forgot to talk about, all the Nexon drama with Dark and Darker. I've been playing literally that all week long, and I totally forgot to add it to this, this thing here. To make a long story short, this is going to be a really cool one. We'll chat about it next week. I think these devs went completely rogue. Their game was copyright struck off of Steam, and then 